Well, good morning. You've probably seen the, the last shall be first in this building, the way it's set up currently. The later you come in, the closer to the front it seems you end up sit, actually having to sit. Getting to sit. You get to be close. So you can maybe get spit on accidentally. Hopefully not. There's even more motivation to be early now, isn't it? Um, so head over to Psalm 23 this morning. Uh, this is probably the most well-known chapter in all of scripture i'd be willing to guess uh just in general people people know it so uh remember to get to the psalms you can mostly most bibles you can open right to the middle and that'll put you in the psalms you can go left or right to get to psalm 23 uh these words have been a a huge comfort to the people of god over the years Uh, i'll never forget after the events of 9 11 those those uh, attacks president george w bush Psalm 23 were the words that he used that evening to try to comfort our, our nation. Uh, when a moment like that happens, it, it wasn't a matter of, of, of church and state anymore. It was, let's give some comforting words, and, and these are the ones they went to. These, these are also the words that are read at almost every single funeral you'll ever go to in your life. And, and while it certainly belongs in funerals, that's a right place for it, it also belongs in every other aspect of our life. Every other aspect where we need to be comforted by our God. Uh, so I ask as you'll, you'll follow along as we read these, these six verses in Psalm 23 today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. O God in heaven, have mercy on us. May your sheep hear your voice and follow your word revealed in the scriptures. Teach us to find comfort in you, and to that end we ask that you would comfort us with your word today. Push out all distractions and draw us into your wonderful word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So most of you know this already, um, but I am naturally a bit of an anxious person. I don't know if uh, you're aware of that. I tend to be the type who will self-diagnose myself. Uh, everything on me is somehow uh, some deadly form of cancer immediately, no matter what it is. Uh, in fact, in our house, we have like a, a, a software guard system, and Laura has blocked WebMD that I'm no longer allowed to go to WebMD. <laughs> I don't know why I'm this way, uh, but I'm just prone to it that way. And In fact... You probably know, because I've mentioned it before, I have what I consider a rational fear of flying. Uh, Rational because it makes absolutely no sense that a metal tube weighing 800,000 pounds should be flying through the sky at any point, especially just because someone strapped onto that a couple of wings and and jet engines. And I I know, I've, I've heard the stats, right? Cars are more dangerous. Yeah, okay. You can't argue with the stats, right? But I know that when my car breaks down, I can just pull over, right? What happens when you're playing? There's no place to pull. Anyway, I, I am absolutely just cannot stand flying. And luckily, none of my children received this from me. But uh, I tell you this because 
I, I battle this completely rational and rational, rational, I can't say that word, rational and reasonable fear with, with the text of Psalm 23. Um, when I get onto a, a plane, when I board it, one of the first things I do is find my Bible or pull up the app, whatever I have near me, and go to Psalm 23, and I just begin reading through it. Um, I, I think about the sovereignty of God. I think about uh, how the gospel gives me real hope for moments like this. And as, I, and as I sit there, just strapped into this flying death trap that begins speeding down the runway, I, I begin to just pray the words of Psalm 23, which has been a comfort to God's people for thousands of years, thousands of years long before airplanes. And, and you know these, these words, at no point am I ever convinced, okay, I'm going to live. I'm still going to die. I'm certain of it. But Psalm 23 makes that okay. It's okay that this, this thing is about to crash. It's okay. Um, see, that's, that's the real comfort that can come from, from a psalm or a text of scripture like this. Psalm 23, the Lord gives to his people. Um, my, my daughter, Berkeley, has actually inherited my tendency. And so seeing it from the other side is a totally different experience uh, towards anxiety. But after she read this, this book called Sammy the Shepherd, uh, she went and asked Laura, hey, hey this, psalm, this psalm that I just learned about, the book's about Psalm 23, the psalm I just learned about is about not being scared because God takes care of me. And, and then she asked, will you write it on the, on the bed? Our girls have bunk beds. Can you just write it on the bottom of Sadie's bed so I can read it at night? Uh, and so Laura spent two days doing that, and it's, it's there for her now. Uh, this is the way it is, though. Th- this psalm is such a comfort, and I want you to know this, that Psalm 23 can be a comfort to your, ta- your soul as well. Whether we're talking about times of sickness, whether uh, someone you love has, has died, whether uh, you're, you're dealing with struggles of any sort, right? Parenting, whatever it might look like, this can be a, a psalm of comfort to your soul as well. So let's, let's look at the text and, and see what we see here. Verse 1. Verse 1 tells us, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, what do you notice about the name Lord here? And shout it out. All caps. I know I point this out to you all the time. I want you to get in the habit because it's so easy to, to, to just skip over this. But when we see it, right, remember that when we see Lord in all capitals, it means that the, the Hebrew name Yahweh is being translated. And Yahweh is the covenantal name of God. That's, that's the name that, that, that God reveals of himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Yahweh is literally, literally translated, I am who I am. It's this idea of, uh, or this, this sense of God's eternal existence, of his, his absolute self-sufficiency. It, it, it tells us that everyone uh, is dependent on God, and yet here is God dependent on nobody. Nobody. And after we learn God's covenant name there in, in, in Exodus 3, the, the, the name is used over 4,000 times in the rest of the Old Testament. This is God's covenant name. And, and I mention this because we, we, we need to feel the weight of this statement. Right? It's, it's Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh. There is absolutely no better shepherd we can have than, than Yahweh. And still at the same time, it's a little odd that, that this metaphor that God is called, is called a shepherd at all because this is not a sought-after position. 
Okay, this is one of the culturally lowest things you can possibly do. It was a, a gross profession. It, it could be frustrating. It required long periods away from people. I know it sounds like an introvert's dream, but you're surrounded by a bunch of stinky animals the whole time, so think it through before you commit. Um, it, it's this lonely, lonely responsibility. And, and think about it. Who, who was the shepherd in Jesse's family? Anybody know? David. And David is the youngest of eight brothers. If you know anything about family dynamics, the youngest is the bottom of the totem pole of any, pole, any family. I happen to know this. When, when, when my brothers and I were, were out squirrel hunting as kids, which I know is a weird thing to begin with, when we were squirrel hunting, anytime we'd come across one of those wires that's connected to plastic and it's just a single wire, it's an electric fence, this question is, is it on or not? And for some reason, it's my job. Brian, touch it, see if it's on. <laughs> no. You have to. How can we get by it otherwise? And somehow I'd be talked into touching my hand to it to see if it was, if it was on or not. Now, you know, this is the kind of jobs you get as the youngest. Uh, I was also the, the, the one who fetched ducks and doves when we go hunting for those because we didn't have a bird dog. Um, this is my, my life sob story, right? <laughs> but like, you know, like old clothes, shepherding is this job that was just handed down. It was probably his brother's long before it was his. But being the youngest, he, he ultimately gets the low place on that totem pole. And so it's, it's this job that's gross and it's lonely and it's lacking any sense of honor with it. And so you kind of wonder, wouldn't it make more sense to say, Yahweh is my king? Or Yahweh is my warrior? Or Yahweh is my God, but, but Yahweh is my shepherd? It's hard to like give a modern analogy without insulting some sort of profession. But, but in your own head, you can, th- you can think of the things that are kind of culturally the lowest uh, of professions that we, we, by reputation in our culture. And in some sense, you're, you're saying that, you know, the Yahweh, the, the Lord, the covenantal God is, is that. Now, now, it's a little weird, but, but you'll see why shepherd makes sense here in a minute. First of all, it's, it, it's a picture of God caring for us and protecting us and, and, and that means what are what are we compared to if he's the shepherd we're the sheep and, and sheep are infamously known for being ignorant and foolish and, and smelly um, all those kind of negative statements about sheep but you got to understand this God didn't take the role of shepherd because he's the youngest in his family or because he drew the short straw or because you know any, any of those those things God takes on this metaphor, this role of shepherd, because he chose to be our shepherd. It's an intentional act by God. God who created the entire universe then calls himself our shepherd. And the psalmist says, it's because, it says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, want in, in this passage is, is not the idea of, of selfish that we tend to think of, right? The, the spoiled little girl on uh, Willy Wonka or something shouting, I, I want a pony, I want a pony. You know, that, that's the way we tend to think of that word want. But here what we're seeing, this is teaching that we, we do not lack something we need. Necessity. The point is that those who trust God like sheep can trust the shepherd who will provide for us, we will not lack what we need. Which is quite a statement, considering that sheep are fairly helpless creatures. Um, Jesus in Matthew six thirty one through 32 shares how God will provide his children, children's needs. Jesus says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? 
or what shall we wear? And then he says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows that we need them, and not just knows that we need them, but he'll provide the necessities we need. Philippians 4.19 reiterates this truth when Paul closes his letter saying this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then, keeping with the shepherd's analogy, verse 2 tells us what, what else the Lord is going to do for his sheep. It, it reads this, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Don't you love how this psalm begins with rest? Right from the start, it, it begins with the idea of the sheep finding this, this place of, of rest. And I, I love it because the Christian life also begins with our resting in the gospel. Resting because Jesus has finished the work upon the cross for us. Resting because Jesus has accomplished absolutely everything that's necessary for for the redemption that we need. And so, yes, there, there will be much for us to do as we walk through life with Christ, but the work of salva- salvation is, is finished and complete, and so our souls can rest in the Lord. That's where it begins. And in verse 2 here, we see the, the sheep are lying down in this green pasture. Now, when, when I read this idea, he makes them lie down in green pastures, I tend to picture the Bible lands and think it's something like the Kanza Prairie in, in springtime. Just rolling hills of beautiful green grass as far as the eye can see. Uh, lush, beautiful green hills. But have you ever really looked at the photos or, or been to the Bible lands and, and seen what these, these fields tend to look like? They're not so lush. They're not so green. Um, much of Israel is actually a, a dry land, especially in the, the hotter parts of the summer, and, and where there's rocky hills where there's very nur- little nourishment that can be found. And so uh, it, it's very unlike Kansas in, in that sense, the, the Middle East. Uh, green pasture land is difficult to find. And so, yes, the, the, the good shepherd leads his, his sheep to these green pastures. He has to go out of his way and, and make an effort to find them. And the shepherd makes them to lie down. Now, did you know that sheep, they, they don't lay down while they eat? Uh, I guess they're a lot like humans. We don't tend to eat while laying down either, do we? Uh, we'll eat in a lot of shapes and forms, though. Uh, sheep, though, they only lay down when, when they feel safe and when they are completely satisfied and, and eaten to their to eaten to their satisfaction at that point you see these sheep in, in this psalm 23 feel safe and they are absolutely content living under the care of their shepherd and just as we can be content living under the care of the lord our god our shepherd and then in verse 2 we we read this he leads me beside still waters this isn't just a peaceful image. It's once again about the provision of the Lord for his people. You see, sheep won't drink from running water. That's, that's because they're, they're sheepish, right? There's an actual word to describe sheep being weird like this. They get panicked by everything. Uh, and so, yeah, um, they're easily frightened by moving waters. And so you can bring them to the, to the streams rushing by, and they'll just stand there and stare at it and, you know, um, die of thirst eventually. And so the shepherd, similar to the way that children do at the beach, would begin to dig a little, little pit off the side, right? And you make the pool, and, and the water flows into it and fills it up. 
And, and that creates what are still waters, waters that aren't flowing. And at that point, the sheep will come to them and, and, and drink the water. Only then will they do it. And so the green pastures and the still waters is, is the picture that Jesus paints for us. We, 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 we have this idea in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he says, Come to me, all who label, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the rest that we can find in the Lord because we find our contentment there. See, under the care of the Lord, our, our needs are, are satisfied, and, and that's when you can lie down and rest. Verse 3 begins with the most, one of the most comforting and, and my favorite line in the entire psalm. It's, he restores my soul. I find it hard to say that without just having a satisfied kind of sigh at the end. It's this big stopping moment in the whole thing. I mean, try saying it with me. He restores my soul. I almost want the whole thing to end right there. It goes on for, for good purpose. But this, this beautiful statement speaks to how well our, our shepherd knows our needs. In that sense, God's word not only reveals our sin to us, but it shows us the grace of God, which can bring us to a place of repentance and faith, which is soul restoring for us. You see, because the Lord is our shepherd, we, we, we can turn from self-reliance. We can turn from striving, from our, our failures, our endless exhaustion, from the, the business of life and just rest under the loving care of the Lord. Not because we're perfect sheep, but because we're his sheep. We're, we're his sheep. In, in fact, that's a huge significance in this entire psalm. Because in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see that some of the kings of Israel are called shepherds because of their place of leadership there. But most of them were terrible shepherds. And, and so when we come here and see that the Lord is my shepherd, that's a, a statement about the, the goodness of who our true shepherd is. Verse 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness. When sheep do their own thing, they go wandering off on wrong paths. They, uh, they can end up in places they can't get out of. They're at places where there's no food, there's no water, where wolves wait to try to make a meal out of them eventually. And, and of course, the path here stands for the journey of life. Uh, we, we see that's the way the, the word path is used in Scripture over and over again. Uh, Proverbs 4.26 commands, uh, and, and we probably should do this ourselves, right? It says, Ponder the path of your feet. At times in our life, it is, it is good and healthy for us to stop and think, what, what path am I on? Because the idea of there being a, a right path implies that there's also wrong paths. And you begin to just ponder that. What, what path am I on? Are we following our shepherd on the, the path that leads to life? See, too, too often we, we want to tell the shepherd that that, that we're certain, you know, down this path, I am certain, is, is greener pastures. Why are you sending me that way? We, we, we think we know better, and so we refuse to follow the shepherd who sovereignly knows that really down the path we want to go is only, only danger ahead. In other words, we, we need the guidance that God gives to his people, to us in his word. And that means we, we've got to stop doing things our own way and instead follow the wisdom of our, our loving shepherd. Now, the last phrase in verse 3 tells us why God leads us in paths of righteousness. And it says it's for his namesake. Right? That would be selfish if anyone besides the creator of the universe, God himself, were to say that. He, he does it for his namesake. And, and that's more wonderful than I think we realize at times. That, that, that under God's gracious 
uh, care, that it's built upon his own name, upon his own character. It's a, a pledge, if you will, by his own name. In, in 1 Samuel 12, 22, uh, we learn something else God does for the sake of his name. He says this, uh, he says, For the Lord will not forsake his people. That's good. We like that, right? We don't want the Lord forsaking his people. And then he says, For his great namesake. That, that's the reason for it, right? Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a, a people for himself. Our, our belonging to the Lord and our care for by the Lord, all of this is, is on the basis of, of, of God's name, his renown, his reputation, his honor. All that is a very important thing in, in the world to the Lord. Um, it's based on that. That's huge. And in Psalm 31, 3 and 4, we read something similar to our passage today where it says, for, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake you lead me and you guide me. He, he leads us on paths of righteousness so that our lives will reflect, reflect the glory of his name. So now let's, let's consider verse 4. You got it open, look down and, and read along with me or with your eyes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, building off last week's theme of songs from the 90s, um, that's a short-lived theme. Uh, <laughs> the first half of this, right, the, these words come from a Coolio song, don't come from, were ripped off by a Coolio song back in 95 called Gangster's Paradise. And it's just the opening words of there. And, and one of the things I, I love about seeing the way sometimes scripture is used in pop culture is it's just ripped out of the actual context of Psalm 23. And as soon as that's done, it becomes a completely different message, uh, a huge difference, because in Coolio's version of this, there is no presence of God. God's not there in, in any place or, or shape or form. And, and what you find, just the valley of the shadow of death that he's walking through, and, and what you find uh, is, is exactly what you'd expect. There is absolutely no comfort there. Even the song itself ends with this, this fear remaining, and it ends with this, this hopelessness of it. It's everything you'd expect to happen when you remove the presence of, uh, of God from this. It's just a depressing conclusion. Um, and, and so while I enjoy the beat of Coolio's song, if I'm honest, I, it'll get stuck in your head. I'm, I'm thankful that God's word, where, where he ripped it off from, actually shows us a much better outlook of, of what it's like to be under the shepherding care of our great God. And so since this psalm is often read at funerals now, I, I think we tend to think of that phrase in the shadow of uh, walking through, or sorry, the valley of the shadow of, the de of death as though it's death itself. Really, it's a, a picture of the shepherd leading the sheep through the deep and the rugged trenches of Israel's wilderness. You see, the valley is called the shadow of death because water and food are difficult to find there. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's, it's dry and the heat is relentless. There are wolves that are out there to get them and other animals that would love to eat a sheep for dinner. Uh, there's many, many reasonable fears, this time truly reasonable fears, in, in the valley. And yet we're told he does not fear. Now, did you notice at this point that the psalmist, David, um, switches from speaking about God, where he's been saying, you know, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Now he's talking directly to God. This becomes a prayer to the Lord. Now he's saying, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And, and it's not that God has removed the evils that we fear, but that his presence gives us confidence because we know that indeed God can protect us no matter what it, what it is. It, it's like when, it, when a young child is afraid of darkness, 
and, and her father, you know, comes and picks her up and, and comforts her, he, he, even though the darkness remains, he, even though the darkness remains, the presence of her father removes the fear in her heart. And, and that's, that's just as true for all of us who, who are children of, of God. No, no matter our age, when, when we really believe, when we understand the presence of God in our life, that's when we find the comfort. That's when the fear dissipates. Um, we, 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 you know, that's when we can just stop fearing what, what might happen in regards to finances and health and parenting and careers and relationships and airplanes and thunderstorms and every, everything else that might, might just bring us fear. The presence of God can take that away. Now, before we go on, I do want you to notice that just as green pastures and still waters are the path that the Lord takes his sheep upon, so also is the valley of the shadow of death. Well, one's a place you want to be, right? The, the all-you-can-eat-and-drink buffet, that's a good place to be. But the, the valley of the shadow of the death, why, why in the world would God lead him there? You see, what, what, what this walk through the valley of, of death does is, is teach the sheep to find comfort, in, in, not in our circumstances, but in the Lord. And that also means that, that, you know, let's not fail then to have that same mentality, right? Sometimes we tend to think when things are going great, this is the Lord's blessing on my life. I must be following the Lord well because things are going, you know, swimmingly. Wonderful. And sometimes we think everything's starting to fall apart here. This is hard. It's difficult. This happened and that happened. Uh, you know, we must not be following the Lord. Don't fall into that mindset. Okay? You, you follow the Lord and you can see what that looks like as you can look to Scripture and say, yeah, I'm following the Lord and things are not going well, but I'm following the Lord. And, and that's a good place to be. I mean, you look back on your life. How, how many of you have found that some of the greatest times of spiritual growth where, 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 where the presence, just the realness of God comes out in your life and, and you find, you know what? It was in a time of suffering. It was at a time of fear and danger and worry. Unless I'm the weird one, I, I found that some of the greatest moments of just, just cementing, okay, God, you, you're what I need and, and you are satisfying to me, have, have come from some of the scariest moments in my life. You see, because in those moments, we begin to learn the, you know, the sovereign care of our redeeming God. We begin to look at things from an internal perspective rather than just, you know, what, what, what's going to be cool or entertaining in the next five minutes. So now we, we see another unexpected statement here in verse 4. He, he continues speaking directly to God and he says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <clears throat> now you realize those are, those are symbols of discipline as far as, you know, sheep herding and shepherding go for. You know, it, it, it's a weird thing to hear there because, you know, verse four, th- 4 is kind of like saying, you know, your, your spanking spoon comforts me or whatever was been used as a spanking. Uh, or, or if you don't do that, like your grounding, your grounding is a great comfort to me. It said no child ever, right? Um, whatever your discipline is, that discipline is a huge comfort. Thank you for disciplining me, Mom. Thank you for disciplining me, Dad. It, it's weird to us. But, but understand, the, these are a comfort because they show that the shepherd, in this case, the Lord is, is committed to keeping us from wandering off, from straying, from going somewhere we shouldn't go. And In fact, 
Hebrews 12.8 tells us that, that, that discipline is a sign that we are genuine children of the Lord. And we know this from just general experience. It's weird if you discipline someone else's kid at the playground, right? It's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> um, I'll, 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 I'll tell you, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was in the sixth grade. And, and after that, I, I lived with my mom. And, and she didn't really keep tabs on what was going on in my life anymore. Now, to give her the benefit of the doubt, she was incredibly busy with a bunch of other stuff going on in her life at that time. Uh, but, but what it communicated was, was there just wasn't care. I'd, I'd stay the night at a friend's house for multiple nights and, and come home and it'd just be like, where were you? I was over at someone's house. Okay. That, that was it. Um, I didn't need to tell her. When, when I would get in trouble at school and, and get detention or ISS or something, it's no discipline at home. Uh, you know, to my knowledge, she never read a report card. I, I lived pretty much with no discipline at all. And it won't surprise you to hear this, but when my, my, my friends heard about this, they thought, that is the coolest thing ever. I want your life, Brian. I wish my parents would give me that sort of freedom that, that I could do what you can do. And, and I can remember at the time being like, yeah, that's cool. But really deep down, even at the moment thinking, I don't. I didn't appreciate that. I, even then, I knew something's wrong because I, I wanted what they had. I, I wanted a, a parent with a rod and a staff, maybe not literally, but uh, be, because that would confirm that, that, that they actually cared who I was and, and who I was becoming. And so even when, like, uh, one of my good friend David's parents, when they would put some rule on me, I'd be like, you know, you guys have to be home by, by like, 11 tonight. I'd be like, okay, I'm part of this. I have to be home at 11. This is awesome. You know, it was, it was this weird, weird sense. I, I just wanted them to care. And, and the rod and the staff of our God comforts because it confirms that he cares about it. It confirms that he will lovingly correct our wandering. It confirms to our hearts that we are indeed his. In the last two verses, the image shifts from the experience of a sheep under a shepherd to the image of a, a human being welcomed by a, a gracious host. We can see it there. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, to be fair, this is a really strange picture to begin with, right? You imagine you're, you're somewhere and there's your enemies and, and you don't know what's going to happen. And here God is setting a dinner table for you. That's kind of not what I want at that moment uh, on first look, right? If my enemies are present, I'd prefer maybe hold off on the dinner and instead you could stand out there with a sword or a gun since they don't know what those are yet uh, or maybe gather an army. One of those kind of things, that's the kind of protection I want. But, but no, David says God sets the table for him. We're going to eat. Uh, th- that's because this is the image of being welcomed into the home of, of God truly welcomed in the home of God. And, and in their culture, this culture, to accept someone into your home meant that you take full responsibility for the safety of that person while they're with you. And so to be at the Lord's table in, implies fellowship with the Lord and implies communion with the Lord. Um, exactly what the Lord's Supper, which we'll participate later, shows us. Belonging to the Lord. Uh, see, so our place at the table, at the table of the Lord, confirms that if an enemy were to attack us, the enemy would also be attacking God. It's that feeling then that you get when you're out with a friend who is just physically a beast 
I'm one of the, you know, I've been surrounded by strong people in my life. And I know there's a big difference when someone's messing with me when I was younger and when they're messing with me and I have some huge friend next to me. Right? You can imagine someone messing with you in public and maybe you have Rob St. Clair back there with you. Not to embarrass you. I just did. You're embarrassed. Anyway, you know, um, ready to just, I'm okay. Rob's with me. We're going to be fine. That, that's kind of the idea, except with, with humans, there's always someone bigger, right? Someone just as strong as your friend. Sorry, Rob, but it's true, right? Uh, but to be with God, you know, there, there, is, there is no one even close to as powerful as, as God. And, and that's, that's the presence we're talking about here. It, it's like hanging out with Thor in a world of only hobbits. You're going to be okay, and then, so then the second part of this verse here speaks to the times of peace as well as hospitality. Both olive oil and wine were a big part of the culture of Israel at the time. And both of those take an incredible amount of time to actually produce. And so in times of turmoil and war, production was halted and they were very, very rare. But in times of peace, oil and wine were available in abundance. Uh, these are also signs of hospitality. When a visitor arrived at someone's home, uh, they were given oil to put on their sun-dried skin from travel. The idea was Neutrogena didn't exist yet, but their skin is just flaking from the heat and the dryness that their, their travels. And, and olive oil would basically what they'd be putting on their head and their skin wherever they could put it. Uh, wine was given in the same way we offer guests today, right, uh, in our own homes. Verse 6 then points to this confidence the psalmist, psalmist has in God. It reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First, we, we see here the relentless pursuit of God for his people. To the covenant attributes of God's goodness and God's mercy are pictured as following behind the psalmist. And, and it's best probably in this in this. Uh, metaphor that's going on in Psalm 23 to understand goodness and, and mercy like, like a shepherd's sheepdogs assisting the shepherd and herding the sheep in, in the right direction. Um, the secondly, we, we learn here that we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord, right? Which is a little weird when you think about the context here, but for, because for them, uh, the house of the Lord is the temple and nobody actually lived in the temple. Uh, the temple, though, was where God's made his presence known among his people. And so the psalmist thus proclaims that he is going to live his life in the presence of God. And that's a gift of God. But reading this through the lens of the New Testament, we know that we indeed are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, if you've got your Bible, so head over to John 14 real quick. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 14, verses 2 and 3. I'll start in verse 1, actually. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's this aspect that we understand looking through the lens of the resurrection of the New Testament, that 
that we're going to actually dwell with God in the house of God. But the presence of God will be like that. Uh, before I close there, I want to back us up here a bit. Psalm, Psalm 23 begins with, with resting, but the rest is not constant. The, the sheep also walk paths and they, they travel through a dark valley. Uh, they are neither resting or they're either neither resting nor traveling rather. Both of those are not constants in this psalm. They're not constants in our life either. In fact, the one constant that we see in, in this psalm and, and that we understand in our own lives is that it's God who, who leads us in paths of righteousness. The, the presence of God, rather, is the one constant, right? So it's God who leads us in paths of righteousness. It's God who, who makes them to lie down satisfied in green pastures. It is God who provides them with still waters and refreshment. It is God who is with them as they travel through the valley. It is God who prepares a table and oil for their heads and wine for their cups. It's the house of God which serves as an eternal home. You see, the, the one comforting constant is the presence of God. And, and so it shouldn't surprise us then that God's plan to save sinners required the presence of Christ with us in human form. And so I guess it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus himself often compares himself to a shepherd. If you're still in John where we were a second ago, just go back a couple pages to John chapter 10, where, where Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd. And, and there we learn that he feeds us, that he knows us by name, that, that his yoke is easy, that, that his sheep know his voice and follow after him. We, we also learn that, that Jesus, the good shepherd, what, what he does for us. And in John 10, verses 14 through 16, we read this, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's not a normal thing shepherds do. Right? They protect them. They put themselves in danger. But, but David was expected to come back alive when he's out there shepherding the flock. But Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And it's because Jesus lays down his life for us that we are truly sheep in his flock to begin with. And so Christian, let, let your soul rest today in the simple truth that you are a sheep under the loving care of Christ the Good Shepherd who has laid down his life for you. Christ who was resurrected from the dead and who is preparing a place for us to dwell with him in all of eternity. You see, the scriptures reveal to us that the many roles of Jesus, he's our, our prophet and our priest and our king and our savior and our Lord, but he's also our shepherd who leads and defends and nourishes and restores our souls and leads us on right, right paths of lives and protects us from enemies and comforts our fears. We, we, just, we need to know God as our shepherd so that we can find rest in him. When the worst things that you don't want in your life show up. So we can find rest in Him even when the circumstances of our life might be a nightmare. When we can find rest in the presence of God who created us and who redeems us no matter what we face. 
And so Christian, understand that this psalm is a good gift for you. When you're anxious, when you're afraid, go to Psalm 23. Believe it. Pray it. Find comfort in the Lord in these beautiful words. Let's, let's pray. God, you are the good shepherd and you are a loving host. Thank you for laying down your life for the sheep. Thank you for redeeming our souls. Thank you for your patience with us as we are often foolish and ignorant, just like sheep. Thank you for the comfort of your word. And thank you for drawing near to us, even in the darkest moments of our life. Please, please help us to feel that reality when we find ourselves in those moments. That the, the fears that come over us would be washed away from just the presence of, of you and your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.